Welcome to High Energy Health, where together we explore the leading edge of wellness and happiness. I'm your host, Dawson Church. By choosing this time together, you're declaring your commitment to a positive mindset, elevated emotions, and a great life. Thanks for joining me for today's episode. Hello and welcome. My name is Dawson Church. You're listening to High Energy Health, and I am so grateful you're here. I know that as we go through life, there are all kinds of shows we can listen to. There's the news, there are podcasts, there's all kinds of information sources that are just bombarding us and available to us all the time. And you've chosen to spend this hour with me. I'm so grateful you have, because this is a symbol. You making that choice is a symbol of your intention to have a great life. And there are so many ways in which you can have a really great life. I know I was emailing a person I'm working with right now on some scientific papers, and she was saying that she has had really low energy for many, many years now, and her energy level is low, and she's only about 28 years old. And yet for many years, she's just really felt her energy at this low level, and she needs something to really shift her. And I thought, imagine if she didn't know about meditation, didn't know about tapping, didn't know about grounding, didn't know about qigong, all the things we share about in the show that can make a dramatic difference to your level of well-being. So you are taking that concrete step today by listening to this show, to high energy health, to having energy, to having well-being, and to moving the needle in your life. And if you think back to 30, 40, 50 years ago, there weren't all of these tools. There were a few things around. Psychotherapy was good. Psychotherapy was getting going after World War II, and maybe you'd see a therapist. Back then, it looked like laying on a couch, getting Freudian analysis for years and years and years, hoping that what Freud called talking cure could do you some good. And it does does do many people some good, but it doesn't touch the somatic levels of our being, our bodies. And that's what really counts. After World War II, there was a famous psychiatrist called Joseph Wolpe. And Joseph Wolpe was responsible for working with veterans of World War II. And he was on a quest to help them heal. And as you can imagine, after literally millions of people had died and millions had fought in the war, there was a huge amount of distress and trauma in the post-war years. Europe was shattered. The whole of Central Europe was flattened by the war. And in the US and other places where the war hadn't touched people directly, there were still millions of people who'd been dramatically affected by the war. And so Joseph Wolpe was working with mostly with soldiers who'd fought, and he looked for ways of helping them. Now, he was a good Freudian psychoanalyst. And so Joseph Wolpe said, well, Freudian analysis, have them lay on the couch and tell me their troubles. And he did that. He did that for the first group of veterans he was working with. And he found out something, which was that it didn't work to release their anguish, their trauma from the war. And he began to do a couple of different things. One is he began to measure their degree of anguish. He wanted to find out just how 
how upset, how triggered, how impacted, how stressed they were by those experiences. And he developed a scale, which we now call SUD, or Subjective Units of Distress. That scale runs from 0 through 10. And it's a simple scale, but it's a scale where you score your level of distress. Are you a two when you think about that negative event in your life? Are you a three? Are you a four? Are you a five? Are you a seven? Are you a nine? And so even right now, just think about what is your number? Right today, what number is your basic functionality at this moment? And what's your average for the day? As you're starting your day out, do you begin your day with boundless energy and enthusiasm? I know I just jump out of bed. I'm so excited to meditate and start my day. I begin pretty much at a 10 out of 10 every single day. And I make it my business to stay there. I can't always stay there. I mean, I'll hear something on the news. I'll have a meeting. I'll have somebody who needs a lot of help or is in distress. I'll find my number coming down. But generally, I do those things that will raise my number to a high level. So what's your number right now? I hope you'll be inspired in this hour. I hope you'll be inspired as we look at stress and the ways you can you can heal it, the ways you can release it in your, in your own life. And I hope that by the end of this hour together, your number is going to be a lot higher than it was at the beginning. But it's a really useful thing to ask yourself. What's my number right now? Ask yourself that during the day. Set your timer on your watch for maybe every two or three hours and ask yourself, what's my number? What's my number when I'm with my family? What's my number when I'm exercising? What's my number after sleep when I wake up in the morning? Am I at that high level of well-being? Or do I begin the day with dread and fear and upset? So that, that scale that Joseph Wolpe helped develop is so powerful. It tells us where we are. Now, one of the proven therapies that a U.S. government report concluded in the early 2000s was the most effective for healing stress is called exposure therapy. Exposure therapy. And exposure therapy means you think about things that are bothering you and you think about them deliberately. You aren't just waiting for the possibility of healing. You are literally catalyzing the possibility of healing by remembering the bad stuff and then finding a way, finding a proven way of letting it go. What's the opposite of exposure. The opposite of exposure is dissociation. Dissociation means I'm unwilling to remember the bad stuff. I don't want to think about that terrible car crash. I don't want to think about being bullied or hurt as a child. I don't want to think about the tension in my marriage or the fight with my child or my parent having cognitive decline or the the crisis going on right now in the world. I don't want to think about all that stuff. I don't often in dissociation even want to tune into my own body and feel my bad feelings because it feels bad. Who wants to feel bad? Who wants to tune into the pain in your knee and the disruption in your in your in your energy field, in the pain in your heart, the worries in your head? Who wants to deal with all that stuff? And yet research shows that US government report looking and all the available kinds of therapy showed that if you dissociate, if you mislead yourself, if you do spiritual bypassing, if you're not really present to your distress, you actually have very small chances of healing. So dissociation is a barrier to wellness. And the opposite of dissociation is exposure. I'm now going to actually face the music. I'm going to face that thing that's so painful in my life. And even though it hurts my heart to go there and to remember it, I'm going to do that because I know that's the problem. 
law to healing. So Joseph Wolpe gave us this wonderful scale, subjective units of distress, S-U-D, 0 through 10. How much is this distressing me right at this very moment? And so he would ask these veterans of World War II, think back to that landing on Omaha Beach. What's your level of distress, of disturbance right now? And he got a number. And so that's a baseline. That's actually doing exposure, facing the music, and discovering just how distressed you are about that memory. Now, you weren't at Omaha Beach. <laughs> the people who were at Omaha Beach, the greatest generation, those people are all long since dead. But you might be dealing with your own private wars. You might be dealing with distress in your family. You might be de dealing with, with worries about the world. You might be dealing with financial hardship. You might be dealing with relationship conflict. You might be having a spiritual crisis. Maybe your life just doesn't feel meaningful. Why am I here? What am I doing here? Is my work meaningful? Is every day of my life meaningful? Am I monitoring the thoughts in my head? One recent study showed that about half the thoughts in people's heads every day are what psychologists call intrusive thoughts. They're intruding in there. You don't want to think about the bad stuff. You try and dissociate and avoid thinking about it. And it just leaks through anyway. I had a, a, a situation recently at work that was really disturbing. We were trying to get some things done and we just couldn't get these tasks done at work. And it would haunt me. I'd be there trying to meditate and these intrusive thoughts would just pop into my mind. And I'd say, Dawson, you know better. <laughs> you know better. You're a teacher. You teach EFT tapping. You teach meditation. You can surely control those negative thoughts. Breathe them out. So I'd breathe them out, return to meditation, close my eyes. I'm back in bliss, like I talk about in my book, Bliss Brain, back in that blissful state of bliss in meditation. And then intrusively, that thought about this crisis in my work life would just pop in. I'd breathe and release it, and it popped in again. i breathe and release it again, and it kept popping back. That's an intrusive thought. You don't want to think that thought. You don't want to think about the bad stuff going on, and you do. Those thoughts were intrusive. And the researchers in that study found that about half of our thoughts are negative, intrusive thoughts. We don't want to think about them, but much that we try and dissociate, that we try and balance them from our psyches, they just pop in again, and they disturb our inner peace. Now, this disturbance is not cost-free. It tolls on your body. Stress neurochemicals rise. Epinephrine or norepinephrine in your brain, the signature neurochemical neurotransmitter of stress rises. It's also called adrenaline. Adrenaline or epinephrine rises in your brain and in your body. And you feel that sense of unease in your body. Epinephrine or adrenaline is your short-acting neurochemical. Your long-acting one is cortisol. And your cortisol rises driven by these thoughts. And cortisol really can degrade your whole physical function long term if those if those thoughts, if those intrusive thoughts keep on going. So you want to master and control those negative intrusive thoughts. You don't want them to just be skittering around there in your head. But for many people, they are. We try and say no. We try and not have that thought and we can't. That's an intrusive thought. Now, the beautiful thing about meditation about tapping, about EFT, about meditation, about grounding, about movement therapies like Qigong and yoga, time in nature. I list about 30 interventions in my book, Mind to Matter. And research shows us that these interventions are extremely
extraordinarily effective at releasing those levels of stress. And that's what Joseph Walby was on a urgent quest to find when those veterans have this crisis, when those veterans are dealing with these deficits in their lives, when those veterans are remembering Omaha Beach, when you are remembering the things that rob you of inner peace, what will you do? What will you actively do? What will you take charge and actively commit to doing to release that stress and lower your levels of those neurochemicals and lower your numbers. So with EFT, we get that sun score before and after an EFT session. If we're meditating, we get a sun score before and after meditation. And Joseph Wolfe was doing this with those intrusive thoughts and those memories of crises of highly traumatic events like the D-Day landings in Normandy with his veterans. So he tried the talking cure and he had them talk about it. And he wrote in his book, The Practice of Behavior Therapy, he wrote, those methods, those talk therapy methods I was trained in as a psychiatrist and as a psychoanalyst were not ineffective. Were not ineffective. He said they were not just ineffective. He said they were harmful because those veterans had a rise in their sad scores when they talked about their distress. They're talking about things that had been life-threatening. They're talking about highly traumatic events. And when you remember highly traumatic events, what happens? You get more freaked out. You get more triggered. Your numbers go up. And that's exactly what will be found. So we'll be embarked on a quest. And his quest was to find things, effective therapies that would bring those numbers down, that would discharge that stress, that would discharge that cortisol, discharge those neurochemicals of, of, of distress and bring people back to a lower level. And he tried a lot of different things and he found one thing that really worked. And that one thing that really worked was a somatic therapy. That's why in my books, Bliss Brain, Mind to Matter, the EFT Manual, the Gene in your genes, I so focus on the body. My dear friend, Bessel van der Kolk, wrote the best-selling medical book of this decade. It's called The Body Keeps the Score. Bessel talks about how it's the body that is keeping the score of the traumas we've experienced. They're not just psychological, they're physiological. So your body is keeping the score. And I emphasize the importance of body-based therapies. Don't just go out there in your mind and try and feel better. You need to feel better in your body and your numbers in terms of your body triggering need to be going down. So you look for ways of doing that. The phrase invented by another therapist called Charles Charles Figley in the 1980s for that remembering the bad stuff and your numbers not going down, like happened to Joseph Walby's psychiatry, psychoanalysis patients early on, Charles Figley called that re-traumatization. You are literally triggering trauma and then there's no relief. Your numbers don't go down. Now you're re-traumatizing yourself. You're lighting up all the neural pathways of stress, sending signals through them and guess what? As Donald Hemps, the famous neuroscientist said in the 1940s, neurons that, you know what that is. Wire together, what? Fire together. Now, neurons that fire together, wire together. If you're firing those neurons, you are wiring those neurons together and those neurons are becoming stronger and better at conducting those stress signals. That's re-traumatization. That's talking about the bad stuff without the catharsis, the release that you get with these wonderful new therapies. So you want to be 
make, making sure your numbers are dropping. Tap while you talk. Breathe while you talk. Joseph Wolpe in 1946 and 52 knew nothing about tapping. What he found, though, was a somatic therapy that helped veterans stay in their body while they processed their triggering. And that therapy was diaphragmatic breathing, DB. Diaphragmatic breathing, paying attention to the breath, was an early form of mindfulness. Now you're doing mindful breathing. You are thinking about Omaha Beach. You're thinking about your divorce. You're thinking about going bankrupt in the Great Recession. You're thinking about all the stresses of today. You're thinking about the next pandemic. You're thinking about the next possible job disruption. And you're staying in your body. You aren't dissociating. You're there because you're doing mindful breathing. So Joseph Wolby found that the best technique he could find back in the 50s for helping those veterans stay in their bodies was DB or diaphragmatic breathing. Now, one of my studies looked at the effects of diaphragmatic breathing and compared it to people doing EFT tapping. And we found that over the course of a half-hour session, that people's numbers dropped just as much with diaphragmatic breathing as they did with EFT. After a half-hour, they looked good with diaphragmatic breathing, and they looked good with EFT. The reason I teach EFT rather than diaphragmatic breathing is long-term effects. When we looked at those same people at follow-up step points like three and six months later, those that have done diaphragmatic breathing started to revert back to the mean. They started to go back to where they were. So diaphragmatic breathing was great short-term. It was, wasn't that effective long-term. EFT, they drop down and they stay down. Diaphragmatic breathing, they drop down. While the EFT group stayed low, the diaphragmatic breathing group went back up again. That's why I emphasize the importance of tapping. We know now from many randomized controlled trials, it's phenomenally effective in treating the symptoms of trauma like intrusive thoughts, like nightmares, like hypervigilance, like avoidance. All of these symptoms of trauma are treated in just a few EFT sessions. So I want you to be using those methods that really help you discharge that trauma and then move into these elevated states you get to in meditation. We're going to go to a break right now, but please stay tuned. You're listening to High Energy Health. My name is Dawson Church. After break, we'll come back and learn more about entering those high performance, high energy, and high consciousness states. Thank you. Hello, and welcome back to High Energy Health. I'm your host, Dawson Church, and I just love sharing with you the magic of how it's possible to be full of energy every day, full of enthusiasm every day, live your life as an inspired being, living purpose-filled life. I mentioned earlier that there was a woman I talked to recently who was young, not even 30 years old, and she'd been afflicted with low energy levels for a long time. How do you shift? How do you raise yourself? How do you lift yourself into these elevated states? So the first step in doing that is to release trauma. And we talked about that in the first segment of this program. Now, releasing trauma is an essential piece of life work. When we're young, when we're little, maybe we had negative experiences, maybe we were injured, maybe we were traumatized. And when we're older, when we're adults, part of our job is to rescue ourselves from the effects 
of our own childhood. No one can do that for you. You have to learn to do that yourself. And these tools I talk about in my books, in the EFT manual, in Bliss Brain, in Mind to Matter, are the essential tools for releasing trauma. Research shows that just six one-hour sessions of EFT can reduce PTSD symptoms dramatically. Those flashbacks, those nightmares, that hypervigilance, all that just goes away after six one-hour sessions of EFT. It's not hard to do. Go to my website, work with a practitioner, download the free resources, and you'll be amazed at how quickly you can release that trauma. But that's only half the equation. Releasing trauma is great. And then you no longer have trauma. You're no longer depressed. You no longer are anxious. You no longer have all those triggers. But there is way more to life than just being at baseline. I mean, having no anxiety and depression is very nice, but it's a pretty minimal goal. Why not move into extra to see. Now, I know when I was a teenager, I was reading books by people like Jitta Krishnamurti, like Alan Watts, like Margaret Mead, who were describing people going into these elevated emotional states. And you'd hear these accounts of uh, St. Francis or St. Catherine or Rumi. Read the poetry of Hafiz or Rumi or one of those great poets, and they're describing these elevated states. They're going to the top of the mountaintop in terms of human consciousness. Wouldn't it be nice to live there? You have to go and deal with trauma first. That's a necessary first step in moving to those states. If you try and move to those states before you've healed trauma, the trauma remains. Being in those states doesn't automatically absolve you of the necessity to go and heal your trauma. It doesn't heal your trauma to just ascend to elevated states of consciousness in meditation and in your life. That trauma lurks there beneath the surface as the shadow, the dark side, and it'll come and get you if you don't go deal with it. So it's really important to deal with your own psychological trauma first, and then you start to ascend the ladder of consciousness. One of the projects I've been working on for the last couple of years, which is so much fun for me, is we are systematizing that movement in consciousness to those elevated states in a program and in a system that anyone can use. It seems really mysterious when you read the work of Rumi, read about St. Teresa and her castle, you read about Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of needs and going up that level of self-actualization. And so it sounds wonderful to be in those elevated states, and it is wonderful to live in those states. But how do you get there? There are methods you can use to move up that ladder of consciousness to where you live in joy, peace, love, and bliss pretty much all the time and pretty much regardless of what's going on around you. Now, when you wanted to do that a year years back, when you wanted to do, to do that 50 years back, 100 years ago, 500 years ago, 1,000 years ago, 10,000 years ago, it was really clear how you reached those elevated mental and emotional states, how you became one of those people who live in that level of consciousness. And you simply did what was required. And you followed the footsteps of previous people doing that, meaning you went to go live in a monastery or a convent or up in the Himalayas, some holy place. You took vows, poverty, chastity, obedience. Maybe you followed a special dietary regimen like vegetarianism or, or fasting or abs abstinence from various things like stimulants, tea and coffee and alcohol. There are all kinds of rules you followed to all these vows and you began that long path of self-purification. And then after maybe, you know, 10 years of doing that, 10,000 hours of meditation, after that you became a novice. You then had done the preliminary work 
be accepted into the order and to be taught stuff by the masters. You then began another apprenticeship, another 10,000 hours, another 10 years, and you gradually learned all of these steps. Then you were an initiate. You were in the Holy of Holies, getting the most sacred teachings, and they, that could raise you to that level of consciousness. So that's all you had to do to get there. Like 30,000 hours, 30 years of abstinence and vows and following the masters, and then gradually you moved to that space. And that's wonderful that those people did that and showed us that it's possible to write those words of St. Teresa or St. Francis or Rumi. They could move to those states and share with us that those states are there. But you and I don't have time to spend a thousand hours, let alone 10,000 hours. You're unlikely to take those vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience. You're unlikely to want to give up your one-inch thick cut of prime rib on a Thursday night. <laughs> along with a glass of luscious Zinfandel wine with all its flavors of ripe aromatic blueberries and raspberries and fruit and cassis and all these wonderful pleasures, you probably aren't going to want to give all that stuff up. I know I, I was listening to a spiritual master once and he, he, the first part of his talk, he painted this amazing picture of these higher states of consciousness. I was like, wow, okay, I'm in. Let, let, let's go. Then he began listing all the things he had to give up to get there. Meat, sexual abstinence, alcohol, coffee, even, I thought, do I get tea? No. <laughs> No caffeine whatsoever. And my heart just sank because I knew I'm essentialist. I just love all this good stuff. I just love you know, eating that dark chocolate. I just love that 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 wonderful taste of a of an aged Scotch whiskey. It's like I give up all that stuff. No. So most of us are not in a position to do that. We have husbands, wives, children, jobs, money, retirement funds. We have to be here in the world. And so how do you do that and stay in the world? And what what elevated people have told us is that there is another way of getting there. And that way is called the short path. The vows, the abstinence, the 10,000 hours, the next 10,000 hours, meditation, uh, following a rigid monastic order. That's the long path. And the long path does get you there, according to some of the Buddhist sects, after about 10,000 lifetimes. <laughs> so you're spending this, doing this lifetime after lifetime, eventually you purify yourself enough, after many thousands of lifetimes to get there. The short path is you can get there really really quickly. So I've been studying and using short path techniques. Now on this, this quest, I've been helped immeasurably by neuroscience because in my book, This Brain, I look at all the primary research using MRIs and EEGs to see what's going on in the brains of adepts, in the brains of great yogis, in the brains of meditation masters. And by putting the modern day equivalents of Rumi and St. Francis and St. Teresa and St. Catherine into an MRI, and reading their brain waves, we can see exactly which brain regions are active and what they do to make those brain regions active. In my book, This Brain, I list the four parts of what I call the enlightenment network. And those are, first of all, the emotion control circuit. You have to be able to control your emotions, negative emotions, to get happy. If you can't control your emotions, no matter how high your aspirations are, you can't get there because you're sabotaged by anger, resentment, guilt, shame, blame, all the other negative emotions in the world. So 
number one, it's building up and activating the emotion control network. The next network you build up is the self-reflection control network. If you're self-absorbed, if you're all about I, me, mine, if your ego and your narcissism narcissism has gotten the best of you, you can't get there. You're self-focused. So you have to control and regulate that circuit that is self-focused. The next thing you have to do is learn, pay attention. And there's a whole, there's a whole brain network that does that. Part of it is called the orbitofrontal cortex. And the orbitofrontal cortex has to get engaged so you can pay attention to the object of your focus. And you make that circuit stronger and more active. And that's what meditators do. That's what these monks and nuns in the MRIs, we see that their attention circuit is highly active. And the fourth of the four networks I describe in this brain is the network that has to do with compassion, love, gratitude, compassion, positive emotion. There's a network for that in the brain, and we activate the compassion network. With those four circuits active in the enlightenment network, we suddenly have a much better chance of moving to those high states. So well before, it took the 10,000 hours, it took all those years of self-sacrifice and denial and abstinence, if we can train you to activate those circuits in the Enlightenment Network, you can get there really quickly. That's the short path. I'll share more about the short path with you as we continue our consideration together. You're listening to High Energy Health. My name is Dawson Church. We're going to a short break right now. Please stay tuned. I'll be right back. Hello and welcome back. My name is Dawson Church. You're listening to High Energy Health. I'm so delighted to share this information with you every week because I love letting people know how happy you can get and how well you can do in your life and that you have tools, concrete practices that will take you there. I list about 30 of those in my book, Mind to Matter. Things like grounding, things like qigong, things like EFT. And there are all kinds of things you can use to turn a happy mindset into a happy life. All of those are at Mind to Matter. You can get that book for free. You just pay shipping and handling at mindtomatter.com. Also, my new book is called Bliss Brain. It's about these elevated emotional states that people get into when they're able to implement evidence-based meditation techniques. And you can get way happier than you can possibly imagine as shown by neuroscience using these techniques. And that book is also free at blissbrain.com. Blissbrain.com. Again, all you do is pay shipping and handling. You get the book free. But more importantly than the book, you get eight free meditations. And those meditations we're showing now in MRI research, in EEG research, will take you usually the first time you try them into those elevated states of consciousness. You deserve to live there, and you can, using the techniques in those two books, Mind to Matter at mindtomatter.com and blissbrain at blissbrain.com. So I want you to have that happy life, and science shows you exactly what to do to catalyze that possibility for yourself. And now we'll go back to the consideration of the short and long paths. So 10,000 years ago, it was clear to move to those elevated states. You went on the long path. You went on the path of vows, abstinence, 10 years, 10,000 hours, another 10 years, another 10,000 hours. And eventually, maybe you had a chance of moving to those enlightened states. What we're finding, though, as we put the equivalent of Rumi or St. Teresa in an MRI today, science is showing that we can move to those states much more quickly. So for a long time, it's been understood in spiritual circles that there's 
also a short path. And I call that the short path to oneness. Others call it the short path to enlightenment. Some call it non-duality. There are words in other religions like the peace, the inner peace that passes all understanding. No matter what you call it, it's a wonderful place to live. I emphasized earlier that to go there, it's necessary to heal trauma first. If you go for those mountaintop psychological experiences without first healing trauma, those very layers of trauma become the shadow self, the dark side. And it's vital to use EFT, tapping, to use tools like therapy, and then release that trauma below the level of the surface. Once you're there, though, move to the short path, move to that state of wellness, move to that state of bliss. You really can get there. Now, one of the absolutely cool things about these MRI studies is they show us just how high you can go. And I can tell you that you can go to places in your mind, in your awareness, in your consciousness, in your mental and emotional life that are exquisitely, wonderfully pleasurable. That's why it's called Bliss Brain. My book is called Bliss Brain, not feeling kind of okay brain, not screaming by brain. <laughs> bliss Brain, absolute bliss. And in one of the chapters of Bliss Brain, chapter two, I talk about an experience that some researchers describe of measuring the bliss states bliss brainwaves of one particular addict. And they put him in the MRI and they were looking at a particular wave and its functionality called gamma. And gamma is the wave of integration, of insight. It means our brain's putting together insights from different parts of the brain and different ideas for creativity. Creative people have lots of gamma. People in flow have lots of gamma. Compassionate people have lots of gamma. Good problem solvers have lots of gamma. So they put in the, in, the, in, the, in the machine and they watched to see what his level of gamma would be like as he moved into those elevated emotional states. And they were excited. This guy was an addict. He spent 40,000 hours in meditation over the course of his lifetime. And they wanted to see what kind of gamma he'd produce. They thought, you know, here's his baseline level. And we might see like a 50% rise in gamma, maybe even 60%. And so they were in the control room while they watched him moving into these compassionate states lighting up those circuits in the enlightenment network, lighting up his self-control circuit, lighting up his emotion regulation circuit, lighting up his attention circuit, and then hitting the light switch on his compassion circuit. And as the researcher tells it, the investigators sat there in the control room, watching their equipment, watching their screens with absolute unbelievable astonishment. His gamma didn't go up 50%. His gamma went up 100%. Now this guy is 100 times, 100% double as creative, as blissful, as compassionate now as baseline. Then it went up 200%. And then three, four, five, six. Eventually, his brain was producing gamma at 700% of baseline. 700%. Seven times the level of happiness, integration, creativity, flow, compassion as an ordinary state. So I want you to know that there is a there there. I want you to know there is a there there. I want you to know that there is a place of bliss that's far beyond where you know today. I began playing around with some of these advanced meditation techniques a few years back, and I was amazed at just how happy they made me. And it didn't take a long time. I was able to, reading the research, using the methods, get there in really short periods of time. I've also led people on retreats. We had one seven-day retreat. We hooked people up to EEGs. We measured how long it took them to reach those elevated states. We found that in just a couple of days, we could get them there in under 10 minutes. By the seventh day of the retreat, some of them were there in under one 
minute. They closed their eyes, they began to follow the seven simple steps I describe in this brain, and they then were at that elevated state of the meditation master of the adept they were there in under a minute. Imagine if you could do that. Imagine if you close your eyes, start meditation practice, start the process of tuning in, get in touch with inner peace, and be at the mountaintop in consciousness in a minute, or even 10 minutes. I bet you'd buy that. I want you to know it's possible that you can be literally seven times as happy, as grateful, as compassionate, as creative as you are now aware of at baseline today. We're going to do a short break right now. Please stay tuned. My name is Dawson Church. You can get the book at thisbrain.com. We'll be right back after a break. Hello and welcome back to High Energy Health. I'm your host, Dawson Church, and each week on the show, we bring you the leading edge of health and wellness. I also am really focused on practical tools you can use to boost your own level of health and your own level of happiness. I list about 30 of those techniques in my book, Mind to Matter, evidence-based techniques that science shows can literally shift not just your mind, but your body. They go down to the level of your genes and actually shift the experience expression of the genes in your body. There are 30 of those practices in Mind to Matter. You can get the book free of charge at mindtomatter.com. So check it out and give yourself the benefit of these wonderful, delicious, practical things you can do in your life to improve your level of health and well-being. And my newest book is Bliss Brain, all about elevated mental and emotional states. That's at blissbrain.com. There are also eight meditations as part of that that you get free. And those meditations will bring you, actually have you feel the feelings of those elevated states in your body and they'll bring you there fast. We've done research on them and those free meditations at blissbrain.com will get you there quickly. So please check those two out and then use those techniques to shift your levels of health and well-being. Now, when you use techniques like these meditations, you use the short path, you start to shift your brain, you start to shift your mind, you start to shift your energy field, and you start to shift your body. That monk whose levels of gamma were 700% higher when he was doing a compassion meditation, lighting up what I call in my book, The Sprain, the enlightenment circuit, seven times the level of positive emotion going on. It literally starts to reshape your brain. The researchers looked at his level of cortical thickness, and cortical thickness is a measure of brain aging. So you have chronological age, which is how old you are. It's like how many years old you are. And then there's biological age. And some people are chronologically 50 years old, for example, but biologically, they're only 45. Some, if they're highly stressed, can be 55 years old biologically, even though they're 50 chronological, chronologically. So you want to make sure you know both your chronological age, which everyone does, know your biological age. And the researchers found that his biological age, the age of his brain, was nine years younger than his physical age. So it's dramatically affecting the aging process in your body. There's one little video I saw once of the Tai Chi master. He was 114 years old, and there he was doing these beautiful Tai Chi moves with full range of motion and all his joints at 114. He eventually died at the age of 117. So don't you want to be that person just happy, just with full range of motion, with all your cognitive abilities at that age of over 100 years old? You want to be that happy, healthy person. And when you shift your neural biology, you then shift your body's biochemistry as well, and you can get much, much, much healthier. So I want you to be both happier and healthier. That's why I do what I do. 
I wake up in the morning full of energy, full of enthusiasm. I get my coffee <laughs> first <laughs> before meditation. And I sit there with a giant mug of delicious French roast, take sips of it, and then enter that state. With practice, you can get there in under a minute. It doesn't have to take long. The short path gets you there quickly. Now, if you get there in under a minute, if you then spend, say, 30 minutes in meditation, you then spend 29 minutes in that elevated state. If it takes you 20 minutes to get there, you only have 10 minutes in that state. So people ask me sometimes how long a meditation is ideal is best. And the answer is, it doesn't matter how long your meditation is. It matters how long it takes you to reach that elevated state with lots and lots of gamma and that compassion network lit up. So in Bliss Brain, I show you what moves the needle. And there are several particular things that really make the difference in meditation. And a lot of it doesn't matter. So I encourage you to walk the short path. Find evidence-based techniques to bring you to those elevated states. Spend as much time as you can get there. If you have an hour every morning, that's wonderful. If all you do is 15 minutes in the morning, that's about how long my free meditations are. If all you do is 15 minutes in the morning, that's enough to move the needle. That'll then result in a cascade of epigenetic changes in your body, hormones, neurochemicals, enzymes, all kinds of biochemical shifts at the level of the body. And as Bessel van der Kolk says, the body keeps the score. When you release trauma, the body feels it. When you move into these elevated states, you'll know it and you will feel that as the ratio of all kinds of neurochemicals like serotonin, dopamine, oxytocin, anandamide, nitric oxide, all of these things are changing inside your body and driving you to the neurochemistry of ecstasy. I so want that for you. And all you have to do is grab my free meditations online at thisbrain.com and then use them. So the crucial thing you want to do here is use them. I taught a workshop last week and at the end of the workshop I said to everyone, if you will commit to meditating every day, just that brief 15 minutes every morning, will you do it? And every hand in the auditorium just shot up. Everyone wanted to do that. And I want you to raise your hand right now and I want you to promise with me you'll do those meditations. I'll see you up there in the meditation land and you'll feel so good and your body will benefit as well. So I'm so grateful at having shared this time with you. Please come back every week and share more insights with me on high energy health. Till next time round, be healthy, be happy, and thank you.